Hello, everybody. Welcome back to this week's episode of Your Gray Matters podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, another week's come and gone, eh? Yep. Hard to believe. Hard to believe. Well, I'm Jason, joined as always by, you know, this guy, Neil. So excited about this week's podcast. Very, very interesting story from Andrea Levy. Uh, do you want to tell us briefly what we can expect from this week? Yeah, I, I, I have known Andrea Levy for quite a few years. She's someone who I've just been proud to know. And a number of years ago, she ran into some serious health challenges, scary health challenges. And she went on a journey, a personal journey to regain her health. And she got there. And yeah. so I've asked her to tell her story because I believe that it will be good for people to hear that they can do it too if they want to. But then she got a dream, a dream to help others with her health. And we're also going to learn how this 55-year-old woman graduated last week as a nurse. Yeah. It, Her it, story it, is amazing. It was a really fascinating story. Um, yeah. So sit back, relax, enjoy that story. As always, don't hesitate to like, comment, subscribe, tell a friend. We hope you do all of that. Leave a comment. It's all really, really helpful. Let us know what you think of Andrea's story. And thanks, everybody. Hi everybody, I'm Neil from Your Gray Matters. Welcome back, thanks for coming. As you know, we put on a show about miracles, solutions that already exist, but you may not have heard about them. And this podcast, as I've told you before, came out of my belief that the human mind cannot be defeated. We will always find an answer. But to get those dreams, those goals finished, you have to have commitment, great commitment. Tonight, our guest, Andrea Levy, is, in my opinion, the embodiment of commitment. A person who I've known for a few years, I've been privileged to know her, but her story is fantastic. And I'm thankful, Andrea, that you've agreed to come on tonight and tell us a bit about yourself. And why don't we start off, Andrea, with hi, welcome to Your Gray Matters. And why don't you tell us about yourself, Andrea? So thanks so much for having me. Um, I've been looking forward to this all week and uh, my technical issues that we had just now were just a joy, but at least we're here now, so that's all good. Um, I am 55. I was born in Hamilton and have lived most of my life in Hamilton with short uh, little offside trips to Toronto and uh, actually Boston for a year and Israel for a year actually too. Oh, really? um, yeah. So, you know, that, that, that was all sort of, you know, I'm a real Hamilton girl and um, we've probably known each other for more than a few years. Cause I think we're related, although I don't remember how. Oh. Um yeah, my father said that to me the other day. Um, so yeah, so we're family. So there you go. Um, even better. And, uh, even better, yeah. And um, I have a husband of 30 years, the long-suffering Mark. <laughs> Although he would tell you that it's the best thing that ever happened to a him. A really but, wonderful guy. Come on. But long-suffering is probably more accurate. I have two kids. One is 27, a a man and uh, a woman who a young a daughter who's a woman who's 24 so she is engaged to also 
her fiance and they're getting married next June. We also have a dog named AJ and he's extremely cute and fluffy and loses about a dog a week in extra hair. So oh, that's the short version of I Gunga Din. There's no way I'd have a dog <laughs> and, uh, and I'm a bad enough handful for my bride, so we're definitely not getting one. <laughs> it, it wasn't really our intention to get a dog that shed. It just happened. And he's a good dog, so we're not complaining, but it is really hairy around our house. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> well, welcome here. Uh, Andrea, your story is amazing. And I wanted people to hear about it. And perhaps let's start right off. And I want to ask you, about a day in your life, May the 10th, 2017. What happened that day? Um, so it was definitely an important day of my life. I had uh, been, for a few years, my dad and I had been going back and forth from Hamilton to Toronto to see an eye doctor that was following my dad's cataracts. And um, actually, he was a friend of ours. We had met him when he was a resident in Hamilton. And he said, you know, if you ever want anything, you know, you can always come see me, just get a referral, you know, about how the system works. Um, and when I brought my dad the first time, he actually said, oh, let me look at you too. So that was like in 2015. So we just always came and it was a nice opportunity to visit with the friend, get my dad's cataracts checked out and, you know, superficially me also. And that day, May 10th, the 2017, um, the resident looked at me first and she did not have any kind of a poker face whatsoever. And I knew that there was a problem and she went away and she got the doctor and he came back and he looked in my eyes and he quietly said, do you want your father to leave the room? <laughs> at which point I said, no, he's hard of hearing. It's okay. I think it'll be fine. And he proceeded to tell me that I had bleeding on my retina that was caused by retinopathy. And then we went over the three causes of retinopathy, one of which was out of control diabetes, one of which was out of control high blood pressure. And one of them was constipation, interestingly enough, because actually if you press too hard with your diaphragm, you can actually, the, the nerves are all connected and you can blow blood vessels in your eyes, which is kind of insane. Um, so none of those three things really applied to me that I knew of. I certainly hadn't been told that I was diabetic. I did not have abnormally high blood pressure, uh, although it was rising over the years. Um, and um, so I was quite baffled. I got blood tests back a couple of days later that said I was pre-diabetic, but that actually, even now, we know that that's not a normal situation to see retinopathy in that situation. Um, and he said to me as he was leaving, um, he said, keep your blood sugar low and stable. And if you have a choice between low and stable, choose stable, because otherwise things don't heal as well. And he also left me with the admonishment that if I couldn't get it under control, I was probably going to lose my sight because surgery only helps so much. It can help a lot, but that's, you know, diabetics lose their eyesight and they lose their eyesight when this happens, when the blood won't resorb. So um, I also, if in the other circumstances, if it happened, you would also lose your sight. Um, basically, the, the blood makes a mark on the back of your eye, and then you can't see properly. So you end up with little dots in your vision. So um, at 49 and 315 pounds and five foot one, I was, and I'm telling you the poundage, not because it's important, but you need to know just how far along I was in my disease process of just being an overall unwell person. Um, I was like, well, I'm probably going to go blind because I haven't been able to control my life and my food intake and whatever else up until now. Um, but I thought, i got to give it a try. I can't go blind without trying. 
So I went home. Uh, my dad and I actually ate lunch with my sister. I, for the first time in my life, actually lost my appetite. Um, we drove home. I did not tell my father what was going on. I didn't even tell my husband what was going on. I needed to get my head around it. And I started uh, I, I started researching keeping blood sugar stable. Um, so I found this type 1 diabetic guy, his blog, and he had done controlling his blood sugar both ways. And he, it was interesting. His A1C was the same. I didn't even know what any of this was. Didn't know what type one diabetes was. Didn't know what type two diabetes was. Didn't know what an A1C was. All I knew was that I needed my blood sugar to be stable because that was what my ophthalmologist said, right? I like to say my ophthalmologist solved my eating disorder, but um, you know, really that's what I was researching. So this guy had um, controlled his blood sugar both through food and insulin because a type one diabetic doesn't make insulin. And so they have to take it from external sources called yeah. usually various kinds of insulin. And um, he found that his A1C when controlled by insulin was about 7.1. And when controlled by food, it was about 7.1. So he thought, oh, it doesn't really make a difference. But then he graphed the blood sugar levels that were individually taken on, in each of those two, it was two months that he did each little trial. He's really, he was really biohacking. It's really pretty interesting. And um, in the situation where he was controlling with food, his blood sugar was like completely level. Whereas with the insulin, it was going up, it was going down, it was going up, it was going down. And he realized he was starting to feel better because he wasn't having hypoglycemic episodes from taking too much insulin. So there were a whole bunch of things there and we could probably talk for four days straight on this and I, it's not really part of it. Other than the fact that I knew that I had found a way to keep my blood sugar stable, it was to avoid the carby foods. I knew nothing else about anything. I just knew that as of tomorrow when I started eating again, because I still had lost my appetite, I was not going to be eating anything that could make my blood sugar go crazy and up and down. So I understood that to be uh, sugars and grains and pro like fruit. I sort of felt like I could eat a little bit of, but uh, that eventually changed. I eventually sort of didn't. And now I'm sort of back on a did for a while. But um, the the upshot was that if this worked, <laughs> I could maybe keep my sight. And I, my goal wasn't to lose weight. It wasn't to get really healthier. I didn't even know what was unhealthy about me other than being really fat. Um, and um, I, I didn't really know what to expect, but I didn't think it was going to last very long because the longest I could ever really have a diet going was about 10 o'clock Monday morning if I started Monday morning. So my, my track record was terrible. So that first night I didn't eat again after that lunch. And then that the next morning I must have eaten breakfast, although it was probably unremarkable, something like eggs. I don't actually remember it. I had no idea at that time that my life was about to change so drastically. And by Saturday at lunchtime, um, we're observant Jews and we have Sabbath, Sabbath lunch and that's usually a fish course and then a meat course. I ate the fish course and then I started eating the meat course and all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, what is this feeling? This is so weird. Like, whoa, what's wrong with me? I can't eat anymore. I'm like, oh, you feel full for the first time in 45 years, right? That was a really bizarre and really miraculous moment, right? If you, if you think about it, it's like less than two days from start to finish of miracle, right? And I had enough experience to know that if I found something that worked for me, that I needed to just keep doing it. So at the very least, my behavior and my mind settled down a lot after that. I began to be hopeful that maybe I would be able to keep my sight, not be diabetic, or even if I didn't know if I could 
resolve that. I sort of at least hoped that it would be better. Um, and I was all of a sudden hopeful, just hopeful. It was, I had been hopeless for a really, really long time. I had given up years and years before at ever trying to control anything related to food. So that is what happened on that day and the couple of days afterwards. And my life has been on a really amazing upward trajectory since then. Uh, you know, I did lose weight and and that's not even the most important thing. If you look at me, you can see I'm not, you know, a size two, um, but I am certainly much more comfortable than I used to be. Um, and I've resolved all the issues. My rising blood pressure is now, you know, exceedingly normal. My blood glucose is, goes up and it goes down a little bit, but I'm never diabetic. So that's good. Um, and I'm, I'm rarely even pre-diabetic. So that's like, it might go up to six. 6.1 and then it goes back down. Um, I'm, I'm working on that. I've got some theories about that, what happens with that. Cause you can do the same thing for a long time and homeostasis can happen, but I don't know if there's that much information about that out there. So we're working still on it. Learning. We're still learning. I'm, we're all still learning. And that's, that's the really shocking part is that this whole thing, it started me learning. And then I found out how much really we don't know in healthcare about about it. I, we don't know anything about obesity. We don't know anything. We know some things about obesity and some things about diabetes, but uh, we don't know everything. And I'm kind of a unicorn now because I've been maintaining a pretty large weight loss for a long time. And also because I resolved all my problems clinically, right? And that is something that I did just with lifestyle and not with medication. So uh, that's actually like, there's not that many people like me. I just had a conversation with the diabetes dietitian this morning and she was like yeah I just I don't really know I haven't met too many people like you right someone who can do it without the drugs without the surgery and I am not just to go on the record I'm not against those things I'm not against Ozempic and I'm not against surgery I think that these are valuable tools in the arsenal that we have I just haven't happened to use them right so that's amazing actually because as you know I've been diabetic for 20 years and around the same time I went on my own journey for weight loss and I don't know how much I weighed, but I do know uh, that when we started, I was a 42 waist and now I'm a 35. But oddly enough, my last eye appointment said, Neil, you don't have diabetic eyes anymore. There's no spots, there's no bleeding. So and I do have a bit of medication I take, but just like you, I went to low carb, high protein and basically trained my body to get energy from protein while mm -hmm. having certainly some carbs every day is mm -hmm. required, but this is not about me. This is about you. No, so but I mean, uh, but I mean, we could even just talk about this for hours, but that's not, it's not really like, that's just a discussion about diabetes. This is, you wanted, this is, this yeah, podcast this is, this is about this miracles. It is. So, <laughs> so it that, is. that I'll, I'll, I can keep me on track for that because Sure. I think there's enough over here. <laughs> so tell me how you're feeling today, though. We touched on, but go deeper. How are you doing today? I'm great. So, um, you know, I'm um, like your typical exhausted university student because um, I am. So uh, I noticed that the stress that we're all having is very similar, despite my out aging some of these people by 35 years, um, <laughs> maybe 40. Wait. No, nobody's 15. So yeah, probably 35 yeah, I wish years. Many years but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I've been a continuously a student, almost continuously since 2020. So uh, in 2020, I, I changed 
tax. I was working um, in inbound sales and I enjoyed my job a great deal. I liked the organization I was working for very much and appreciated them. And actually, I really wouldn't probably have thought to change except that I was really bored. It was locked down. It was August 2020. And I had been thinking about going back to school to study nutrition. I thought maybe I would become a dietitian at some point. And um, I found a course at Niagara College called Nutrition for Sport and Performance, which I interpreted to mean and was never disabused of that notion during my discussion with the coordinator. Um, I thought it meant health and exercise, but in actual fact, it meant elite sport performance. And when I found that out, I was in my fourth of 10 courses and it was actually on special populations. We were discussing elderly and elderly competitive athletes. And I'm like, oh no, first of all, I can't stop now because I've already paid tuition and I finished most of the first semester. But also what else is there to do? How much network, how much Netflix can I watch? So I ended up doing full-time school and, um, and working full-time for, that was from September to uh, April, May, my final project, I think I handed in the beginning of May. And my cumulative average was like 95%, which is crazy because if you look at my high school and university transcripts, you would be like, wow, that's not even the same person. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. It really isn't the same person. So I have a, new, a degree in English literature. Clearly, I had never studied um, science. And somehow I managed to get 95%. A lot of it was, a, you know, essay writing and stuff. Yes, I'm a writer. I can write. It's not a problem. But learning how to write science when all you know how to do is write literature is a very different proposition. Huge learning curve in a bunch of different ways. Once I recognized that I was... Um, in the wrong program for all intents and purposes, because I did not care about ever advising a competitive athlete. Um, I told my profs and two of them sort of let me go down my own path. One of them sort of made me stay in the realm of, um, of competitive athletes, but then like in her class, I just did, <laughs> like I focused on an athlete that had diabetes, which I was really interested in, right? So it was fine. And then the other two, I actually focused pretty heavily on circadian rhythms, which was really interesting. And in that, I have to say that that course really, even though it was kind of useless in terms of like, I would never do what the outcome was, be a nutritionist for someone who's competitive. I did learn some really amazing skills, like how to read science, like how to write a scientific essay, like um, how to base my practice if I were to have one on science, how to assess a patient or a client, depending on what you want to call them, um, you know, assess their nutritional, assess their body, uh, not assess in a medical way, but just to see what you're dealing with. We learned skinfold tests, there were all sorts of interesting things that we learned and I really enjoyed it. And later that, so I finished in May and in like July, I was talking to my family doctor and he was like, he, he I said to him, I was thinking about becoming a dietitian. He was like, don't be a dietitian. I was <laughs> like, well, that's an interesting comment. He's like, first of all, it takes too long. And secondly, you'll hate that college because they call dietitians on up for a discipline on and, you know, that colleges exist to protect the public, but apparently the the College of Dietitians really just wants you to pretty much focus on the Canada's Food Guide and um, not so much more. So they're not really allowed to say so much. And this was confirmed by actually a dietitian that we both know, whose name we won't say out loud, who was disciplined a number of times for saying things that work for us. And um, so I knew he was right, actually, about that because of that person. And... Um, I, he, I said, so what do you think I should do? And he said, you should become a nurse. 
like nurse like what are you talking Where'd about that come from? Yeah. Like, what a bizarre <laughs> suggestion you're a doctor what do you know why would i want to be a nurse and then he said the most important thing that like really of this whole thing he said nurses are all about health promotion he's like if you just meet them in the hospital they're running around giving bedside care but they're all about teaching and they're all about health promotion and you solved all your health problems and you could easily promote health with as a nurse it would probably be the best thing for everybody if you became a nurse and if you do mohawk it's 16 months it's continuous you'll be done in 16 months you can go out and practice i was like wow that's weird like i just did not expect this when i went to the doctor today so um I was like, okay, food for thought. Um, I walked away from him and I went home and I was like, okay, this is a bizarre suggestion, but I suppose that I should really research it. So I looked into it. I called York actually, which is where I graduated from. And they looked at my um, transcript. Here's that transcript again and said, you know, even if you took every one of the prerequisites for our second start, you would not get in because you would not be competitive. Our people are really competitive. And I was like, so I can never be a nurse. They're like, you'd have to take a lot of university courses to become a nurse and get that average really, really up to offset your terrible average from the 1980s. So, because um, I found out you really can't divorce yourself from your history. Hmm. Um, so I, she, it was actually a lady at York. I don't remember her name. I wanted to tell her what's going on with me now, actually, to just say, you set me on this path. It's Everything happens for a reason, right? All these people sort of set me on this path. Um, so she said to me, you live in Hamilton, go to Mohawk, become a practical nurse. If you want to become a registered nurse later, you can always upgrade. And, you know, this way, you only need four high school courses to get into that program. And if you have high grades, they'll let you in. So interestingly enough, I do have a degree in English literature. I found out from Mohawk that what I needed was a grade 12 English, a grade 12 math, a grade 11 biology, and a grade 12 physics or chemistry. So um, I called Mohawk and they were like, okay, let's set you up so you can get in. So they looked at my transcripts and they said, well, you're going to have to take English again. And I laughed because I was like, really? I've got fourth year English courses on there. They're like, yeah, take grade 12 college level English. I'm like, what? Like, really? <laughs> this is so funny. So in the end, probably we could have used my fourth year courses because they were close to 80s. And I did very, very well in the sciences. And so in the end, I probably would have gotten in had I not redone English, but redoing English was kind of fun. I did it through ILC. It was remote learning. I had a teacher who at some point was grading my stuff going, you make me feel like a total imposter. And I don't know why you're taking college level English. You should be in university level English. And I didn't want to take... What? Sometimes our journeys are very circuitous. Very, very. It was so funny. But finally, in the end, of like after she marked my last project, I was like, okay. So, or actually, I think it was when I submitted my last project. I said, I need you to know that you feel like an imposter because I do have an English degree. <laughs> right? Like, I may have been a crappy student, but I did learn how to write. So this is not going to look like I'm grade 12 college level English because I do know how to write. So um I did, I got a hundred percent in that. Thank God that would have been really embarrassing. Had I not. Um, and then I got a hundred in biology. I took it at a local adult uh, school in the Catholic system actually. And then I took chemistry and I got a 95 in that. So that, that along with my 80% that I got in grade 12 math 40 years ago uh, in 1985, um, close to 40 years ago, made a 92 and a half average and I started applying to Mohawk. So I had originally applied for the following September. And then when I realized how good my chemistry grade was going to be, I applied for May 
and I first got into September and then a few days later got into May and we thought about it and it was like, well, do we work for an extra four months and have some more money? Do I start school? And I'm like, you know what, Mark, I'm not getting any younger. Like, this is like, if I'm going to do this, this is the time. So I started like a month and a bit later uh, in the RPN program, which is just really uh, on the level of life experiences that are incredibly, insanely difficult. Um, it qualified as being like really up there with some of the hardest mm. things I've ever done. That was a really hard program. Our graduation is tomorrow. I'm not going because uh, interestingly enough, I have school because I'm now upgrading to RN, but, um, and, and I have a group project I have to work on, but I did go to my pinning ceremony last week. That was sort of better than graduation because it was only nursing students. Um, but yeah, I, I've been doing that for the last 16 months. And then uh, I had a two week break between August when I finished that and September 7th when I started at West. The University of Western Ontario was very forgiving about my grades. They have a program for RPNs to bridge. And as long as you had 70% or higher in five courses, uh, either you could have done a year or you could have done like I did a whole degree. But I, could, I was able to cobble together more than, uh, I guess, 70 70 570 courses 570 percent courses and then you had to have a degree in or um, a grade in uh, rpn that was higher than 75 which i did because i think i was around 89 and so i got into that course and insanely started it again and then in addition to everything else, like actually I had to get registered. That was one of my conditions of acceptance. So, you know, everybody finishes nursing school and then they take months to study for these big rest registration exams. I don't know if I told you the story, but it's actually hilarious. So I knew that to get to, to keep my acceptance to Western that I had to actually do it and I had to do it before December 1st. Well, I was worried I was going to fail the first time and they gave me until December 22nd so that at least I could finish all my courses this semester and if I didn't pass I could take a leave. So the second the, the College of Nurses gave me permission to write I went on to the Pearson View people who write the test and I started looking for dates and they were all really far out. So I started looking a little farther afield. And on Mississauga, I landed on the next morning and thought, well, if I don't find anything closer than that, I guess I could do that if I, you know, whatever. Didn't realize that I was actually clicking on a test which I could not actually cancel. So with less than 14 hours of notice, I wrote my registration exam, fully thinking that I, well, like worst case scenario, I'll know what to expect the next time. Right. I had spent two months doing adaptive testing while I was on my placement. I had gone through the 130 questions on the College of Nurses website with a, a classmate of mine from Western. Um, I was pretty sure that I knew how to write the test. Oh, yeah. And then the day before, before I knew this was going to happen, I was studying with another classmate. I hadn't studied in two or three weeks because I had all this Western stuff to do six courses at Western. And she said to me, well, actually, it's really helpful if you read what's on the RexPN website you know, how, how they write questions and how the test works. It's all there for you to see. And at the very least, it'll calm your nerves, right? I didn't know that I was doing this the next day. But when I figured out that I had to write this test or lose $400, right? I had three choices. I could write the test and fail. I could write the test and pass, or I could lose $400 and not show up, right? And if I failed, it would like at least be an experience, right? So in the end, I did write it and I did pass it. And so I was able to get registered within the next 24 hours after that. So at least there's only Western to worry about now. Only the I, I have your story is amazing. Um, it's not. I, oh wait, you're the first person who you have these health challenges, you attended to them, 
then you thought, I'll be a nutritionist, but I don't want to be that at all. So you end up in nursing. So I want to be the first person who ever said, not doctor, heal thyself, nurse, heal thyself. <laughs> and you did. And yes, probably. <laughs> I think you are remarkable. Thank you know, you. I can't thank you enough for this, Andrea. But for those of us who know you, you have been a beacon of hope, a shining light. And I do know you well enough to know that it wasn't it's always great to tell the story after it happens. It's never great <laughs> to tell the story when it is happening, because then you just sound like you're complaining. But you are an accomplishment. You've done a lot of great stuff. And I just, I just have to ask you a question, because I sure. seem to remember something about you, because you're also entrepreneurial. Yes. And did you own a food truck, a kosher pizza something no i had a kosher seasonal pizza restaurant in niagara falls in the summers of 15 16 and 17 i see now when you say seasonal you mean just in the summer when people were in niagara there are no jews in niagara falls except in the summer wow i mean the there are jews but there are not enough jews that care about keeping kosher overall in the summer you really need mass volume to to be able to afford to open a restaurant there and so the only time they have the mass volume of kosher juice in niagara falls is the summer when there are tourists but even then i would say that the lion's share of the business is in the last six weeks of the summer most of the time it's after plus you saw an opportunity as an entrepreneur you took it you were uh being specialized for for a special type of eating that uh, orthodox jews committed jews to the rules of being kosher uh, uh, adhere to, and therefore you saw market. And I found that fascinating. I just want you to know that because I remember. <laughs> well, I was catering the rest of the year. So that's it what I mean. You were a caterer. Such a leap. Like, I mean, I had been asked to do that years before. In fact, he asked me to do it, um, the rabbi in, in Niagara Falls. Um, he had asked me to do it uh, in 2012, but I had tickets to Israel for the summer and I was not giving that he was like come on I'll pay I'll replace your tickets I really come need on. somebody and I'm like no no I'm going and I didn't actually do it like till three years later really and I did it three years later because I was bored because summer is not high time for Jewish events in Hamilton yeah. hardly anybody has a bar mitzvah the kids go to camp and right. you know people travel the Israelis go home like it just wasn't it wasn't productive for me. It wasn't the odd funeral I would get, but that was about it. So I was bored. And I said to him in 15, I'll do it. And then I did it for three years. Well, and then that, sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I have to tell you, I remember you catering. I remember you cooking at the synagogue. Then I heard that you had opened up this uh, restaurant type of enterprise or food enterprise in Niagara Falls. <laughs> this conversation touches a lot on food. You've always been a provider of it. And I've tasted your cooking and damn, it's good. But I wanted to say to you that, ladies and gentlemen, I've been so excited to do this podcast. Uh, I have been planning this out in my head from the day I started to conceive of the podcast, <laughs> having Andrea on. I wouldn't tell Andrea that because I didn't know when I was going to do it. But you see, as I said in the beginning, the human mind can, be, can never be defeated. We will always win. And Andrea touched on the fact that there are different medications. There may not be a need for the medications. I'm with you. 
Andrea. Bird. That's not that's not really what I said though. <laughs> it's like just to be really clear, I am not saying that there's not a need for medications. I am saying that all of those things in hand work together. However, it's some people can do it with lifestyle alone, but I, I am not a doctor and I don't pretend to be one. Um, and and I will share my experience because it's my experience. But it's not like I'm averse to those things. And it's not like I think anybody who's controlling their health using things that work, right? I, it's not like I would hold them in less regard than, I mean, anybody, literally anybody who is trying to make their life better is has my esteem. Even if you're not trying to, you have my respect, right? I, I But I, I honor people, like, because I was that hopeless person who wasn't trying for so long, I get very excited when I hear that somebody actually has the hope to continue, right? It didn't work today. What can I do differently tomorrow really matters. And if that includes trying a medication, I don't have a problem with it. If that includes, you know, um, focusing heavily on exercise, well, I hope that you're not going to become an exercise bulimic because I think that, you know, that there are, there are, Everything is, is, I don't believe that you, I can eat everything in moderation at all, but I do believe that extremes, um, like from a scientific perspective, even the extremes that we put into our, that our, our bodies are exposed to, our bodies don't like that, right? Homeostasis is about keeping us in that ideal place for functioning, that ideal place for health. And sometimes it goes awry. And, and that's, you know, that's certainly something that happens when a person becomes obese. You can look at the Canadian best practice guidelines about obesity and how to handle that and how it, how obesity works. Um, so when you make changes, sometimes those things don't work. And, you know, some people need a little medication. Some people need no medication. Some people can do it just with exercise. I, I think that um, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I just wouldn't want to leave anybody with the impression that I was oh, anti-treatment. I, I, I do, I'm sorry. I do believe that if you medicate yourself and don't change your lifestyle, and by that, I don't even mean excessive, edu uh, excessive exercise. Um, I, I do think that you are, I think that when you hear stories about people who, uh, you know, have to have their feet cut off or whatever, God forbid, you know, they have weeping sores that won't heal. I think a lot of the time those people for whatever reason, weren't able to make all the changes that they needed to, right? I'm not even saying changes. I'm not saying that they didn't make changes, just they didn't get to the, all the changes that they needed to to solve the problem. Or maybe the problem got too bad before they made the changes, right? So, um, you know, I'm not saying that everything is hunky-dory the second you do what I did, but I am very lucky that the timing was right for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you look at, at the alternate of what could have happened, mm -hmm. Let's say I was a diabetic when it happened. Let's say my A1C was 6.5 or 6.6, .6, and I had retinopathy. They would have put me onto um, insulin <laughs> because at that point I had damage and I wasn't healthy, and they would have needed to solve it. But you know, we know I know now that insulin is one of the things that makes people eat, right? And hypoglycemia, which is often caused by external insulin, makes people want to eat. So I sort of understand that had things not happened exactly the way that they did, right? That I didn't quite, I wasn't quite diabetic. <laughs> I, I could still do it with lifestyle. My doctor told me to keep my blood sugar stable. All of those things happened the way they happened. And that's how I got this outcome. You know, there were other things. I'd stopped eating sweetener in 2005. I think sweetener was something that really affected how I ate and and sort of gave me that that need to eat when I had it in my mouth, the, the taste of it. 
also I didn't like the aftertaste and it gave me migraines. So I stopped eating it in 2005, but that's why I was eating just sugar in 2017, right? Because I wasn't eating sweetener anymore. But in the end, when I stopped eating sweet sugar, not eating sweetener probably helped me, right? In a big way, right? So like, there's a whole bunch of things that I could line up and say that if they had lined up any other way, I might not have had the same experience. That's why I'm happy to share my experience, right? Someone wants to know if they can go cold turkey. Yeah, I did, right? If you're taking drugs, you should discuss that with your doctor. Sure. Because you could, yeah, sorry. <laughs> sort of... You know what? You are fascinating, and I didn't bring you on to not talk. I'm actually thrilled. What I was trying to say before was I, I didn't use the right words, but I was agreeing with you that you should do what works for you and you should feel good about it. And yeah. you, on your journey at work, I'm happy to tell you I went on mine. I, I, I made a solemn promise to my kids that I would do whatever it takes to keep my health in check. And as you know, you go in a direction, sometimes you have to have a detour. Yep. But ladies and gentlemen, if you have a dream and you go after it, then you'll get there if you pursue it. And yeah. Andrea pursued her dreams. She's healthy, thank God she's with us. And on top of it, now she's a nurse. So I'll be able <laughs> to go and see her when I don't feel well. And with that, <laughs> Andrea, I want to thank you so much for coming on the Your Gray Matters podcast. As I said, I've had this developing in my mind since we started the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back again next week, as we always do. Andrea, thank you. Bless thank your you. heart. And just keep going. And you too. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to the Your Gray Matters podcast. The Your Gray Matters podcast was created by Neil Silvert and Jason Silvert, written and hosted by Neil Silvert, edited by me, Jason Silvert, and produced by Neil Silvert and Jason Silvert. Please follow us on any major podcast platform. Watch us on YouTube, like and subscribe, and email us at yourgraymatterspod at gmail.com with any questions or feedback. Thanks for listening. Use Thoughts and opinions expressed are the speaker's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of the Your Gray Matters podcast. The material and information presented here is for general information purposes only. The Your Gray Matters podcast name and all forms and abbreviations are the property of its owner and its use does not imply endorsement of or opposition to any specific organization, product, or service.